This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, One Bills Live on a Monday. How you doing? We are one week away from heading out to the NFL Combine. Our first road trip of the year. After our Monday show next week, we'll be on the road to Indy. Um, But... That's a little down the line. We will have some combine coverage here today. We'll get into what that is in just a second. Uh, before we dive headlong into that stuff, though, Steve had a rather adventurous weekend. <laughs> yeah. I had a weekend that was a little bit less so. But uh, you survived your winter camping expedition. Yes, I did. With the four boys. I had uh, my four sons ages between 35 and 25. Uh, oh, just about 25. The four of them and me, we do it every year. We go out and we camp out. Everybody likes to camp in the summertime, and it's all fun and stuff. You know, car camp or whatever, backpack. We backpack into the Adirondacks, and we stayed three nights at a place nearby, a place called Chimney Rock, mm. uh, which is about a half hour from Speculator, New York. And okay. it's in the wilderness, and it's, you know, at this time of year, it's vacant because I guess nobody else likes to winter camp. So it's just us. Okay. <laughs> so a couple of cold nights. Um, campfire in a lean to state right? state park lean to and it was pretty awesome good stuff a lot of you know it was and, cold I'll and say i'm that. here to tell you you can have <laughs> all of it i have zero interest yeah in that. you need to there's the picture of the guys if you know a radio listeners can't see it obviously steve's uh, got the red cap on. yeah uh, that that red cap is actually a, pic, a present from murph that's a no oh, nice yeah our buddy so uh those are my four boys from left to right it's uh, luke tap Deacon, Jake, and myself, the five of us. were. Look up. at that. And we uh, were up there for uh, about from Thursday uh, till um, Sunday night. Yesterday, about noon, we got out. Nice. We walked out, and it was a couple of cold nights. Friday night was a Yesterday little Yesterday was chilly. great to walk yeah. out. La- yeah, Friday was the cold day. It got down, I think, with the wind chill. It was down near zero. Yeesh. And uh, so I, you know, we had to make do. And-, and, and be honest with me, how good did it feel to – Hit the coffee maker button this morning, getting ready for work. You have no idea <laughs> how much you appreciate life after spending four days in the wilderness. Oh, it civilization! Because you know, for those of you who know, you you go out in the wilderness, and you gotta you can't carry all the water you're going to use, so you have to grab water from streams and yeah. pond or lakes and stuff. And you, it's not really. It would probably sometimes it'd be safe to drink, but you don't know. Yeah, you don't. If play it's with not sometimes. safe to drink, it's not safe. So you have to boil water all the time. And so get boil water over usually a campfire or a small uh, micro stove um, and then, you know, How coffee in it. How long does it take to boil water in 20-degree weather? Longer, I would think. Yes. Yeah. 10 or 15. Then in your kitchen where 10 it's or 15 minutes. 68, 70 degrees. Right. It's 10 or 15 minutes. All right. And uh, plus you can only do it one pot at a time or whatever, and you got to, you know. Yeah, you got to divvy it up, and you got a single hot so, plate deal. So you got to, <laughs> you got to plan, plan. So we have coffee that we can make. We there's a couple of different techniques for making coffee. We tried a couple of them, and and uh, coffee was always good, always black, and uh, and it's it's an ordeal yeah. for everything. The 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 coffee we do take in for the first night. We take you know we take in like because we carry everything in and every scrap we try and we carry out. We try to yeah. leave no. No, no trace. But leave it as you found it, right? Or better than you found it. And <laughs> so we 
we pack in, you know, for the first night, we pack in some steaks and some potatoes and some pretty good food. And, okay. And the, yeah, so, and the, all the, some of the accoutrements of a nice meal like that. So we do all of that, although you're eating it out of a tin plate probably. But it's, you know, great food. You, you eat what you bring, so you want to bring the best. But, you know, you got to carry it in. you got to carry whatever's left out. So it was a fun weekend. Very cold. We did some hiking. Went up to, uh, like I said, that Chimney Rock thing, which is a, a really a natural beauty. It's a real wonder. Mm. You can climb up to it. It's spectacular views around the Adirondacks. Caves that are explorable uh, and well marked. Uh, well, as well marked as they can be in the wilderness. Yeah. Um, really, some interesting stuff. I would entertain that in July. Not, I don't think it I is. Can, I don't feel like sw- swinging okay, in so, February. Yeah, all right. Here's the I thing. just don't like being cold in general. So willingly being cold <laughs> just kind of here's the battles thing. my inner there, intuition. Camping and for those of people who camp, you know, I have to explain how cool it is to go out in July and June and August yeah. and all the September. You know, all that stuff. Whenever the weather's p- fantastic and you go out, I get it. You know, we all do that who are campers. The there are three things that are different about winter camping than there are about us. You know, you going out like. Um, like that first is obviously the cold you gotta you gotta deal with it. you gotta layer up you gotta have a place where you can sleep and stay warm without shivering all night and be comfortable the, the so the cold is one thing the other thing is and that i mentioned earlier when you go winter camping like we just did it's you and nobody else there's no camper next to you there's no family next to you there's no neighbor's dog that's running around the campsites right. there's no there's no hoping you get the good campsite. There's no crossing people, paths with people on the trail and saying hello. To, nobody is in the woods in February except knuckleheads like us. I mean, that's it. There is it is vacant. Okay. So you get the best spot. You get the you know whatever. Um, it's just you and it's and it's solitude. You don't have to put on nice for anybody. Yeah. Uh, it's very, it's great. It's freeing. And then the second, third thing is like the things you always get where you don't like in the summer. There's, you know, obviously bugs. even the bugs are, you know, don't like it. So you don't have any of that. There was no, no wildlife. We didn't, we saw like one squirrel the entire trip. Wow. There was no wildlife. And even the locals went through speculator. The locals said, you see any moose? Cause they're up moving around. We saw nothing. It was as if we were the only five guys around. Wow. Uh, it was absolutely yeah, mountain. nobody around. And so that's that's probably the biggest difference aside from the cold. So yeah. we started doing it because, as some people know, one of my sons had a job that started in May. He was playing football in Canada. They start in May, and they go all the way through Thanksgiving. November, yeah. So his summers, he couldn't camp, still wanted to do it. He said, well, let's do what – so he said, let's try it. And so now going on seven now years, it's become a thing. seven years, we've been doing it. There you go. So here we are back and awesome. I made it. I'm and I'll tell you, you what, back. thank, thank goodness for over the counter pain meds. Hmm. Cause bro, I drove from the camp from where we parked our car 15, 20 minutes into the town to get gas and head on out and get, have lunch and then head on out. I drove 15, 20 minutes in that padded seat of my luxury suv got out to pump gas and nothing worked i almost fell over right in the gas station <laughs> i was so still i was i was stove up you you mentally i was in a bad way yeah i i got out i was Your like brain had I, let you physically decompress I, I, yeah i mean it hit like a ton of bricks you know carrying a pack in and carrying a pack oh, out yeah. and hiking around the mountains and 
chopping firewood and cutting firewood and processing firewood and hauling, you know, the whole thing. Yep. Dude, I'm, I'm an old dude. I'm an old guy. Yeah. Oh man, I just I almost fell down right in the right in the gas station. Well, I'm glad you made it back then. <laughs> All things over the counter pain meds. It's the only I way. was in Syracuse this weekend to go see yeah some college hoops. And your buddies showed up. Yeah, my high school buddies from Long Island drove up to meet me. Three of them, so that was cool. And um, we went to the Syracuse Duke game, which you know. We had kind of marked on the calendar, oh, let's hit that. I know my season's over already because we're right. a week past the Super Bowl. And so I drove up to meet those guys, and, you know, we go to the game. It's good early. Like, first five minutes, it's a little back and forth. And then it's not. Duke just starts raining threes, and Syracuse offense disappears into the locker room or out into the central New York night. I don't know what the heck happened. They couldn't hit the side of a barn for about 10 minutes. So a five-point game turned into a 20-point game, and it was like 41-20 to 20 at halftime. Oof. Yeah. What not, is, and it did not get better in the that, second half. Was that an expectation? For, did you know that kind of coming into this game? Or we was, all or thought you Duke a had game? a good shot at winning. Syracuse has had a rough go of it this year. They just don't have – consistent answers on offense. Like they have one guy who is a good one-on-one ISO player. Everybody else, you know, you got to play team basketball. And for whatever reason, the Syracuse offense was not playing team basketball, whether it was pick and roll or, you know, backdoor cuts, drive and dish, whatever it was, they weren't doing any of that. It largely turned into a one-on-one ISO game, and they only have one guy yeah. that can beat people off the dribble, and he went cold in the second half. So it was a rough go. And meanwhile, Duke's got like three or four guys that can shoot threes. So they're already up 20. They're lighting it up. Yeah, they were like eight, so for, they didn't even care they were eight the... for 14 in the first half from three-point range. They were up right. 19 at half. I mean, it was a runaway. Yeah, so that – It was tough. I DeMar Hamlin was at the game. Oh, yeah. He was sitting down courtside there in the front row. They kind of put him on the camera. He got a standing ovation, so that was cool. Uh, so, DeMar was taking the game in. Uh, it didn't appear like he was with anybody else, like like his family wasn't there. He didn't have a crew of people with right. him. He maybe had one guy with him. But, uh, yeah, he was at the game and got recognized, so that was kind of cool. They put him on camera, yeah. got a nice reception, and yeah. that was that might have been the highlight. Yeah. So, so when let me know that because I'm – like totally, I've been out of the. I was off. We didn't have cell service for four days. Yeah. What's the coming down the stretch here with March Madness and all that? When's that start getting rolling? The conference championships. Conference be championships up. start the week after the combine. First okay. week in March. So we got a couple is usually of weeks. Com- the smaller conferences will be playing their conference championships during combine week, and then usually the major conference tournaments start that first full week in. Well. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, the Combine is in March now. It used to be that last week of February, but now it's in they, – they might start that week. We might have a lot right. to watch in the night, in right. the evening. Yeah. We may have to take in some games. I'm going to say this, though. The ACC is down. Is it? It's not as good. It's North Carolina's not good. Yeah. Duke is unranked. Really? West. It's Virginia. They're top ten. I think they're number eight last I checked. All their games are in the 50s, though. They're hard to watch, man. Uh, They're playing that 
I get it. I, Old I, school. I, I don't watch too much basketball. Um, I'll watch some NBA, and then I'll go back and forth between the NBA and the the NCAAs. So and it's a vastly different game. It is. The Big Ten always has, you know, four or five good teams. The team, the conference that is killing it this year is the Big 12. The Big 12 has 10 teams. All 10 of them are in the top 75 right now in the country. Oh, really? They may get seven or eight teams in the tournament. Well, like KU. Well, K-State. Kansas is a given. Kansas State. Kansas State's got a good squad. Um, TCU's in the top 25. Actually, Kansas plays TCU tonight. That'll be a good game. Well, my, um, wife's, a, my wife's a University yeah, of Kansas and I'm a, alum. I'm a huge Kansas fan. Out I've, there, yeah. I kind of got hooked on Danny Manning and the Miracles when they won in my wife was 88. A, we, I was were in, t- we were in college when those guys were in yeah, were I was doing a teenager it. My wife I, was right there on campus when they were And they're on the all the time. Like, yeah. they're on every week. So they're easy to follow. I, and I, after my St. John's team went in the toilet, uh, after the Big East got busted up, you know, into, from what it used to be. I met Larry Brown, the great coach of KU. Who is a Long Island guy, by right, the way. All right, so I met Larry Brown in Hutchison, Kansas, uh, way back in the day. Yeah. He was in town for the National Junior College Basketball Tournament, oh, cool. which is in Hutchison, Kansas, at the big at the arena there. It's there, there every year, and he's recruiting. You know, he's watching a channel. Because uh, yeah, yeah. it's just – it's Jucos. Like, it's he's looking couple, for yeah, Jucos. Right, Jucos. He's down the road a couple – and my buddies and I, who are JUCO graduates, or they're graduates, I actually transferred out early to go to Northwestern. We were back together, and we, were, we went to the tournament. Yeah. And we go to get a pizza, and Larry Brown's sitting in the pizza joint. Yeah. So, you know, we're hammerhead college kids. Hey, coach! Wow, 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 And he's like – he couldn't have been nicer. I got to yeah. hand it to him. But, you know, we he's were – He's probably like, oh, boy. Yeah. I've been, I don't rec- know. I've been recognized – it was great. So, but that's he went on and obviously had Danny Manning and those and those guys at KU yeah. and did it. So it was it was fun to see. But that I was as I was saying, the college game still good. I love it. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun to watch. But completely different than the NBA. Completely yeah. different. But the and big, I couldn't even. I'm not even smart enough to know what I'm looking at. But I know that eh, it doesn't look the same. Big Twelve is going to be a tough conference to bounce out of the tournament because you got Kansas, you got Baylor, Texas. All of them are in the top ten, and then you have Texas Tech. You've got uh, eh, Oklahoma's a little down this year, but TCU, as I said, is in the top twenty-five. Iowa State, they're in. Yeah, they're in the Big Twelve. Are you so Kansas State? I mean, you got some West Virginia. You got some quality teams in that conference and the other conference that's on the rise right now in basketball, the SEC. It's not just right. Kentucky anymore. Alabama. Alabama's number one. Mm-hmm. Um, Auburn's still really good. Tennessee uh, and Kentucky, you know, they're they're a little down this year, but, you know, they're still a tough side. They got some teams in that tough conference, side. too. I, I got to tell you, ACC is down, and I can't remember a time in my life where the ACC looked as right. poor top to bottom as they do now. I don't know. Like, you've had some legendary coaches retire. Krzyzewski, done. Roy Williams at Carolina, sure. done. That obviously hurts programs like that when there's a vacuum there. Who's at, Ka- who's at Kentucky now? It's still Calipari. Calipari's still there? Yeah. Hmm. But they're down a little bit. They've had some injuries, not doing as well. So, But, yeah, but, I mean, the tournament's always so great. To, but right. So you went to Syracuse and it was – and is Syracuse your team now? Or no. Is, what's your team? I actually like Kansas. I, no, I, your it, team, team, like your well, lifetime it's been, team. It's St. John's is my lifetime okay. team, but 
you know, the Big East is a fraction of what it used to be. Right. It's a joke now. They're right back is to where Mullins, they were in the 70s. Is Chris Mullins the best guy to come out of there? But yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. So, I mean, NBA Hall of Famer. He was on the Dream Team. I know, yeah. Like, I, I, I heard him speak on a radio interview about yeah. basketball, and they were talking to him about it. He, I, I knew about six of the words he used in well, regards to speaks, basketball. It's unbelievable. Yeah. He speaks fluent Brooklynese. Yes, he does. Say. Right? He's from Brooklyn. I, I, I was like, wow, that guy's lights are on. Yeah. He knows what he's talking about. I don't, but he does. Yeah. You know? And I, he could have completely snowed me, but – and I was listening to him on the radio. Right. Yeah. It, really impressive. He's eat, sleep, breathe. Yeah, he's one of those guys. Yeah. Jim really Rad. impressive. I mean, he would, he would go – so he grew up in Brooklyn, but he would go up to the Bronx – to play in the parks, mm-hmm. to play better competition. Like, he was he was a good player in Brooklyn, and he's like, well, I want, they say the best park games are in the Bronx. So he would go up to the Bronx, go to, like, Rucker Park or stuff like that, and go up there and play and do well. Like he'd just go up there with a bunch of his buddies, and he didn't care. Yeah. He'd just play, <laughs> play anybody, anywhere, anytime. Yeah, yeah. And that's how he got so good. Play the best, you know? Yeah, fun stuff. It was cool. Yeah. There's one person that had a better weekend than both of us. That was Josh Allen. Why? Because Josh Allen met Tiger freaking Woods this weekend. I saw that. Roll the tape. Here's Tiger, and there's Josh, and he's walking up to him. And, you know, Josh just, you know, his typical polite self. I think that's Kyle Allen, his buddy, who's also an NFL quarterback, uh, with him there. And he ran into him at the tournament this weekend at the Genesis Invitational, which I think was in California, and um, Mm. shook his hand, got to say hello, and uh, somebody interviewed Josh after he met Tiger, and he's like, you could tell. He goes, that was cool. one of only two times I was really starstruck. Because um, him Tiger. and Kobe are like right. the two main guys that he said, I used to watch and my heart used to beat faster when I used to watch them compete because right. I was nervous for them. Right. So one of his two biggest idols it's kind of cool that and people don't realize that they think well it must be just there must be some sort of tight fraternity these guys don't know each other a lot of times and and it's the respect is there instantly no no question and sure i'm sure tiger and you know has a level of respect for josh as well but for tiger being this iconic figure for so long in the american sports landscape it's a it's kind of cool that you see these other superstar guys and josh is i mean superstar guys going wow that was kind of cool meeting tiger you know um Everybody has those guys. My, do you, did you have like, like the if you had like one maybe two guys to say I wish I met met him and could meet him and do all that? Did you? Ha- uh, I wish I would have met Don Mattingly. That would have uh, been cool. Okay. Donnie baseball was for like ten years. Did I, he pass? No, no, no. Oh, no. But I mean, I've just I've never had a chance to meet him. I got I my. <laughs> so there's still a chance. Well, yeah, sure. I guess. Um, Who's the other one? Like, is there one? Like other people that yeah. I'd like to meet, I don't know. I haven't really given it. Yeah, a ton of here's thought, my. T- you want to know my two? The top two. Okay. They're they're both gone. Howard Cosell. Yeah. And Muhammad Ali. Hmm. Get them together, you really have an entertainment. Well, that, you know, Muhammad was kind of the athlete that I always wanted to be. You know, kind of a you know kind of a world champ, but a guy who was yeah. revered. And and Cosell was a guy the other. Yeah, industry that I, would I was part probably of. Probably say Walter Payton's the other one for me, and that's not possible now, obviously, right. since we lost Walter in '99. I want to yeah. say, but that guy was my favorite football player, so yeah. he would probably be. I did meet Walter. I told you that. Story. Yeah, 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 that's a great uh, story. Gr- yeah, he. Uh, but yeah, Manningly was guy. probably the other guy. He's just. Pfft. He was just class, quality. 
you know, he was just everyday consistency as a baseball player. He was, and he was fun to watch. Yeah. Um, it's amazing how, no matter how good somebody is at one thing, like Tiger Woods at golf or Josh Allen at football or Kobe yeah. Bryant at, go- at basketball, basketball. Still, they still have that ability, even though they're the greatest in that sport, to be awed and kind of thrilled by somebody else doing something they do. Well. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of cool. It's a cool phenomenon. That is, in a, that is an upper condition. echelon that few right, but can reach. But it's kind of a, the human condition, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we all – I mean, like, so Tiger's sitting there hitting these shots that nobody else has even dreamt of. And, you know, he'll – whatever, like, he'll go to a hoops game and go, wow, man, I wish I, wish I could play. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, wow, look at that. You know, that, so kind of cool that that is still a thing, even for superstar athletes who can be thrilled and kind of – you know, impressed by another yeah. athlete in another sport. You were already in the mountains, but right at the end of the week, after we got off the air Friday, the Bills signed their first free agent. It was safety Zane Anderson, who, granted, is not a household name. He's been with the Chiefs each of the past two years, largely a practice squad player, but had been called up for a total of seven games over the past two seasons to play largely on special teams. He is a safety, and it looks like the Bills are trying to begin to fill out their safety position um, in terms of numbers. Because from a sheer numbers standpoint, they're down numbers with their prospective free agents. It's basically Micah Hyde is the only guy under contract DeMar Hamlin's under contract, but we don't know his future. Mm -hmm. After that, Cam Lewis is a restricted free agent. Jordan Poyer, as we know, is an unrestricted free agent. So, too, is Dean Marlowe, who came here on a one-year deal. And uh, who else am I? Uh, Jaquan Johnson is an unrestricted free agent after playing his fourth year with the Bills. So the Bills are just, from a sheer numbers standpoint, in need of adding people at the safety position – so Zane Anderson has been added, and you and and we're all in the same boat. I mean, let's just get up to speed with all the Bills fans here. You know that they're not going to have any trouble finding guys who want to play. I mean, the ex the, the new league yesterday kicked off. There's you know oh the XFL, thirty guys yeah. thirty guys over there that would love to play. There's guys on that are free agents on other teams. They're not going to have a problem filling that roster spot. The problem is, as we all know. Is he going to be any good? Are they just going to settle for somebody? Well, right. and Or, or not. maybe not hope they settle for somebody, but find out they have to uh, because they couldn't find anybody good or it's the guys they got weren't good enough. The pro, the pro personnel people are the guys who vet these guys, so Anderson's going to come in knowing that yeah. that's probably a guy they were targeting for a minute. And they signed him to a two-year deal. So it's obvious that the pro personnel department sees some potential – that they believe is worth developing with the coaching staff. And maybe he's a regular on special teams his first year here. And maybe if he makes enough progress, he can find a way onto the field on defense in year two, or maybe that's what he is. Maybe he's safety depth and a special teams contributor. It's always comforting when you've got a guy who's done it before for somebody else. Um, An undrafted rookie free agent showing up, and then all of a sudden gets thrust into the lineup. That's that's a lot of angst. Yeah. In that in that decision, but sometimes you got to do it. Uh, the more guys you've 
got on the field who at least you know where their floor is and maybe have potential to get better, the better it makes you feel about your whole roster, even if, even if the guy never plays. Right. So it's, it's one of those situations where he didn't play in Kansas City for a reason. Um, we'll see what happens when he comes to Buffalo. Let's go around the NFL, which is presented by Kaleida Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. The biggest news is will the first shoe drop on the quarterback carousel? It might. Ex-Raiders QB Derek Carr met with the Jets late last week. Uh, it stretched into the weekend. And reports out of New York are they could see Derek Carr as a match for their organization. Uh, they think very highly of him. And I will submit to you this, Steve. I think everybody in the league has seen enough of Derek Carr to know what he is as a quarterback, what he is capable of. Do you think that his skill set with a top five defense makes him look even better as a quarterback for his respective team? Because the, I, the first thing I think of if I'm thinking him, of him as a Jets quarterback is this. For the last five years, he's played for a Raiders team that has a defense that can't stop anybody. So every week he's going out on the field saying, i got to put up 30 for us to have a chance to win. He goes to New York. He puts up 24. He's probably winning the football game with that defense. Yeah, it's interesting because when I, <clears throat> I, I don't know that a quarterback – goes out there because I've, I've said the same thing. I don't think a quarterback goes out there thinking, hey, I got to score 30. They talk about it during the week, what they're going to do and every week in, week out. They talk and the, you see the big picture about what your defense is doing and how they're struggling. But I don't know that there's a quarterback out there doesn't want to throw, you know, get the touchdown every drive. Yeah. You know, I think it does put pressure on you in the game plan and say, hey, we've got to make sure. So maybe in the, in the course of a game, he'll say, I got to take this check down and make sure we get the first down, you know. Uh, I got to make sure we do this, and we and you kind of play a little bit more conservatively, knowing that your defense is going to have a hard time keeping them out of the end zone. But I think that really falls on your coaching staff more than it does a quarterback or anybody else. They've got to call a game that gives your team a chance, and I think the coaching staff feels more of that pressure than even the quarterback would of having to go out there and score thirty. You know what I'm saying? I get it, and. I think like a, a crew like Salah's got in New York, Robert Salah, the head coach of the, the Jets, those guys would have him come in and they'll say, listen, we can work with this guy, right? They'll, it'll give them more confidence, say, okay, finally we got a little bit of consistency back there rather than nothing, right? So I think it gives the whole organization an uplift. I mean, Carr's not an elite quarterback, but he's good. He's definitely above average. Oh, yeah. He's somebody you can you got to feel confident about. Yeah. All you put Derek here's the here's the thing you put Derek Carr at the quarterback of the Jets, and all of a sudden the Jets are looking someplace else to improve. Yeah, for the first time in how many decades? Right, long time. That puts them in a position finally in New York where they're like they're in a different spot than they've been in a long time. They say, okay, well, where else can we tweak it a little bit? Because the Jets are pretty good roster, right? I mean, Certainly we talk on about defense, it. and they have right. talent on offense. They well, just got to fix the offensive line and get right. the quarterback position right, solved. So, so maybe we we grab an old lineman, you know, in the draft, another old lineman because they've got 
Vera, Vera Tucker over there. Is that right? They drafted Vera Tucker got, as a first-round pick. Becton was out ago. all last year, and he has been labeled a bust, but he came in highly motivated this last year and was playing a little better, I understood, before he got hurt. Yeah, and he missed almost the whole year. Right. So, I, I don't you – know, yes, the offensive line for them needs to be revamped and, and bolstered. And they got, like, three guys on their starting offensive line who are free agents. So – they got some work to so do They got there. some work to do there, but at least they can do that knowing they got a guy. And they can throw everything at it, get some guys to come in and compete. I think that's a real interesting thing. I think Derek Carr, man, you, can you imagine? They, they might throw a ticker tape parade they sign him because it's been so long since they have it, yeah. anybody of note. I think the vast majority of Jets fans always want to shoot for the moon. So I think they've all got Lamar Jackson on the brain, whether he's available via trade or not. It's been written in the papers down there, and they're all like, oh, yeah, let's get Lamar. So if they get Derek Carr instead of Lamar, yeah, I it might go it. over like a lead balloon same with thing the with, expectations of Jets fans. Same thing with, you know, with Aaron Rodgers. He, did he come out of the cave yet? Uh, he may have. I don't know if he's still rubbing his eyes or he's come to any so revelations. He comes, that guy can't go anywhere. I mean, if, to me, the Packers are ready to move. Yeah, and, and word out of Green Bay is they might be done with him. I get it. Like they're just tired of they're fine. his garbage. That's fine. Maybe that you know they're getting so much pushed. Sucks from, all the air out because of Because let's room. face it, every every organization has two different sides, the business side and the football side, right? And the business side kind of lives off the football side, obviously, but there yeah. are some things where the business side can take present, most notably with the cap and all that stuff. And if the football side comes to the business side and said, man, this guy's wearing us out. And the business side might go, well, if we work some things, it might help us. Yeah. You know what I mean? So let's find out about Jordan Love. Get what we can for Aaron on the market, and let's move on. Yeah. I'm – I'm. that's where I'd be. I, I don't have any problem with the Packers saying, you know what, we're – we don't want to go down it's the 39. I mean, I think he can still play, but for how much longer? Um I know he's he does, one year removed. I know from, he does all these off-season body cleanses, but I don't know if he's his. I don't know if he takes care of himself the way we saw Tom Brady take care of himself to lengthen his career. So, thirty-nine might not be Tom Brady thirty-nine, if you know what I'm saying. And he's only one year removed from back-to-back MVPs. Right. So, like so he I can said, still play. He can still play. There's no question about it. Um, it's just I think. I think there are certain places where Aaron Rodgers doesn't fit, and I don't know if he fits in New York. I really well, don't. Well, here's the thing. For me, if I'm the Packers, if I he's got does he have a no trade or I'm not? I if I'll he, have to check. I don't think so. I, I don't think so. Anything and about I, that. I Packers are like I Aaron, we love you, but you are not a factor in this. So you don't have yeah. to say we're trading you. We're trading you to whatever team. Yeah. Thanks for stopping by. Love you. You can come back and retire as a Packer <laughs> in 24 months. Yeah, uh, that's where it should be. Uh, I mean, I used to be a player. But I understood at the outset, if they're going to make a business decision, the way I feel about it is irrelevant. Right. And that's the way it should be, even for great players. And that's why it rarely ends, great, it ends well for them. Yeah. We have to take a break here, but we do want to pass along our topic of discussion for you today at 803-0550, Give us one surprise player who you think the Bills will resign and one surprise player that you think will depart from this roster this offseason. 
1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board or hit us up on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. Steve and Chris with you on a Monday. We're back in a couple of minutes. Stay tuned. Ah, right, here we be. One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you here on a Monday. Happy President's Day to everybody, by the way. If you're enjoying the day off at home, live it up. You got a four-day work week. Uh, <laughs> but we are asking you at 803-0550, give us one surprise player that you think the Bills will re-sign and one surprise player that you think departs off this roster. I guess an example last year might be Cole Beasley being moved off the roster. I'm um, trying to think of like a surprise re-sign last year. Maybe it's Jordan know, Phillips. Maybe bringing back Jordan Phillips. I yeah. was thinking something like that or a Shaq Lawson. Yeah. Um, I think the answers might be different this time around. And we go to the phones where we do have an open line for you at 803-0550, the number to get on board. But we lead off with Tia in Livonia. What do you got for us, Tia? You're on One Bills Live. Hi. Hello there, Tasker. Boy, I love you all the way back <laughs> during Jim Kelly era. Thank you. Now, my you're welcome. My surprise keeper would be Poyer. I don't want to see him go. Yeah. My surprise goodbye, Von Miller, and I'm going to tell you why. Wow. I think the guy was great in his heyday. He's old, even though I'm 61. He's young to me. That season ending injury killed us big time. And I think it was a waste of money. Nice guy. I'm sorry he got injured, but get some young cheap legs to take over for him. And I will hang up now and listen to you guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks All right, for the thanks, call, Tia. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's interesting. Tia lists Poyer as a surprise keeper because she doesn't want to see him go which, you know, is right. probably a pretty popular opinion. He is a fan favorite. There is no doubt about it. But I think there is the general consensus among the fan base that it would be a very fortunate situation if they could find a way to keep Jordan Poyer in the fold, knowing, A, last season he wanted more money in his contract. All the Bills could really do was put incentives in his current deal in an effort to help him make more money. And then he missed five games due to injury and probably didn't hit any of those incentives. So to think that a guy who is looking for top-of-the-market money at his position fitting back here into the fold where the Bills have to be maybe more fiscally responsible than ever seems unlikely, and I think fans are wise to that. So, yeah, I would, I would classify him as a surprise keeper. It would be great if they could, but I think it would be a surprise to a lot of people. Yeah, finding a way to keep him would be a surprise. I'm, and – not that he, you know, he didn't play well last year when he was in there. The team, he was a rock steady, rock steady safety once again. Uh, even on the the film we're seeing now, as you see him walk out the tunnel, he's got that stinking elbow brace on that makes it makes him look like some sort of transformer. He had to play with that for the entire year, uh, along with all the other stuff that happened to him. It was a rough season for him physically, and he battled through it uh, like a champ. And the Bills, they were better with him on the field. There's no question about it. Both tangibly and intangibly, he's a, he's a plus. He's, a, he's an all-pro caliber player who had a rough season with injuries at a stage in his career where you don't like to see that. And 
it's tough to it, – because it would be, no matter how much you love the guy, it would be a roll of the dice to give him top safety money for any extended amount of time. At age 32. At, age, at his age. Um, that doesn't say he's not going to come back and have another all-pro season for you this next year. Right. He could. But or, it is a matter of what you can afford. They're going to really yeah. have to be judicious in how they distribute their cap dollars, which would bring us to Von Miller – who Tia believes would be a surprise cut, I don't see it because of the cap hit that you right. would incur. He just signed a six-year, $120 million contract last year, led the team in sacks, even though he missed the last six games, tied for the team lead with Greg Rousseau with eight. If you released him, it would be a $40 million cap hit. It's just not going to happen. You are right, Tia. He is getting up there in age. He will be 34 this season. He's still pretty dang good, though. He's very good, and he played very well when he was in there this year. Uh, he got a, um, um, I don't want to say non, non, non-contact injury, but a very it was innocuous yeah. innocuous play that he got hurt. He took a misstep on the play and in Detroit. And then there was weight on the outside of his knee from right. a player landing on him, and, and it just kind of tweaked it. It was not a an unbelievably catastrophic injury. It was a tough injury. He didn't fully tear his ACL. It was damaged, but not fully torn. And there's no reason to think that he's not going to come back and play extremely well this right. season. Now, if he if he can't make it through the entire season or if his play tails off because of his age, you got to leave that up to the player, to the coaching staff and the medical staff to say, listen, let's pace him through the first part of the regular season. Let's use him in the playoffs when we need him, that kind of thing. They'll get that. They'll get that right. Uh, but if he's going to come back and he's going to, you know, now he's got a hamstring that is bothering him and now he can't play for that, you know, this kind of stuff, the nagging stuff tends to be the thing that nobody has patience for, including players. So I don't think you can make that assumption with a guy like Vaughn Miller that he's not going to come back and play extremely well for you. Yeah. Even these advanced age because he was playing so at such a high level before he left. And it won't have been that long when he comes back. Yeah. Be like getting back on a bike. Um, and because his knee was only partially torn, it's anticipated that the recovery will be pretty much on schedule and that he should not incur any setbacks. So cross your fingers on that. And to Tia's point about saying, oh, just have some young players come up and fill the void. Well, they had six games to do that at the end of the season with A.J. Epinesa and Boogie Basham and Greg Rousseau, and while I think Basham flashed, particularly at the end of the season, Rousseau played steady, but I don't think collectively they brought the same amount of impact to the pass rush that Vaughn did all by himself, and that's why I think he remains in the fold clearly, not only because of the money situation, but because he's still pretty damn good. Let's go back to the phones and to Jack in Rochester next. What do you got for us, Jack? Well, I got a couple of surprise players and another quick comment, if you'll indulge me. Yeah. I think Singletary will be with the team next year because I just don't think he's going to garner that much on the free agent market. Oh, interest, yeah. And I, and the other thing, I'd be surprised if Oliver doesn't get traded on draft day. Okay. My yeah. quick comment is, you know, I could remember an interview I saw years ago with Chan Gailey, and the interviewer was quizzing them about play calling. He was asking them questions about personnel matchups and down and distance and what the def- you know what the defense is showing. At some point, Chan interrupted the interviewer and said, you know, all that technical stuff is really important. But he says, a football game has a flow to it, and there's like a feel to it. Any given moment, 
And sometimes that's just as important as all that technical stuff when you're calling a play. And I think if Dorsey's going to take the next step as a play caller, I think he's got to build that intangible skills. Because when the offenses struggle, even McDermott has mentioned, then it kind of lacks a flow. And, and I think sometimes that the real advantage of having Kelly call the plays at the line of scrimmage was really that kind of feeling of a flow as opposed to some technical thing that he was seeing. Yeah, a rhythm you're talking about here, Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of an intangible yeah. rhythm. I, that's 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 fair. I, I don't dismiss that. Uh, and thanks for the call, Jack. Appreciate it. Um, let's dice up his surprises first. Singletary is his surprise keeper. Uh, Ed Oliver is his surprise departure via trade. That's, we, a good, that's a good answer. I think it is. Yeah. Maddie and I actually discussed the potential of Ed Oliver as a trade uh, option. Um, 10.7 cap hit. We know the Bills are trying to create cap space. He would be a way to do it. I just think if you have any party remotely interested in Ed Oliver, I think they're going to want assurances that they could extend his contract so they know, hey, I'm not just getting a rental for a year and then the guy leaves and goes somewhere else. Right. So It would mean the Bills would call the teams, hey, we're interested in getting moving on from him. We're going to try and yeah. – got to save some cap and – we just he's not going to work for us and they'll say well we'll do it and i'll say okay we'll give you permission to talk to him um so that that sets right. it in motion but that is you know that sets oh you got to be ready for that because when you do that everybody knows you're trying to trade the guy now it comes out in the social media ed has to be told his representation has to be told the right. other teams whoever knows about it in that building may call some other agent all of a sudden it's public knowledge we're peddling Ed Oliver. So if it doesn't happen, you got a guy who knows you didn't like him. Yeah. Uh, and that's a problem. And then with respect to Dorsey and developing a rhythm as a play caller, I think the one thing working in Dorsey's favor in that regard is having been a quarterback himself, not just a very successful one on the college level, but, you know, he did play in the league. Granted, he was largely a backup for the balance of his career, but he hung around for five, six years bouncing around to different teams, getting exposure to different offenses, and, you know, getting reps at least in the preseason where he could kind of feel and sense rhythm as a player. I think that helps you as a play caller. Yeah. I would say it's easier for him to develop that because he was a player. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I would say so, yeah. You would like to think that because he played it and felt it, uh, it'll even when he coaches, he'll be be able to make that transfer from the booth down to the field and say, oh, yeah, okay, I get how that is. There's no – um, no substitute for experience. Ken Dorsey doesn't have that much as an offensive coordinator. He has some really good players, and a lot of people didn't like the way it felt last year at times, but it was highly productive. Uh, they were number two in the league in scoring. They got a ton of yards. They were really good on third down. Uh, they were they were really good offensively last year for a first-year offensive coordinator. And if you think he's going to get better, then I don't know what that means, but it's going to be pretty good. Yeah. Uh, if you think he's going to get worse, I would disagree with you. I think the guy's got a, an, an improvement kind of attitude rather than a I've got this thing done kind of attitude. So you're right. Chan Gailey was right. The technical stuff is important, and you got to know it. But when you're in a game and you th- – and you've got some a team that something happens where it has nothing to do with the technical, like this guy's out of the game and that guy's out of the game, that changes things. 
whatever the numbers tell you, that ain't right. I'm going to go – you know what I mean? You, yep. you, that changes things for their defense. We got them here, and we're going to do something completely different. All that stuff is intangible, and you got to be ready for that. Um, I think back in the 90s, maybe you could make an argument because we never won the Super Bowl. It was too much of a feel thing for Jim. Jim called his own plays. He said, let's just go. He, he sees something. I'm just going to go. Let's just keep going, and I'm going to pick my spot, and I'm going to do it, and I'm, it's all feel. And I said, I see something. I'm going to do it. Maybe it was a little too much of that in the 90s because that's what it was to a large measure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty productive. Oh, yeah. A lot of fun to watch and tough to beat. But it came with its own set of parameters that you, you know, that were the other edge of that right. sword, too. Like your defense is sitting there defending 80 plays a game because you're on and off the field, even if you did score a touchdown. Right. So it's, yeah, there's a lot in there, and there's no magic wand you can wave. You yeah. got you to gotta go with what you got. And you, the way the Bills have done it in the last recent past, they're very productive. Break time here. Steve and I back with more on this subject next here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, where we are asking you, who do you think will be the Bills' surprise player that re-signs this offseason and the surprise player who departs this offseason? You let us know, 803-0550, But we turn to the tweet sheet presented by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills, and Jeff leads us off and says, surprise stay is re-signing Poyer. Surprise departure is Edmonds. It's too much money to invest in two linebackers, meaning Milano and Edmonds, because Milano's already making over $10 million a year. He just doesn't, Jeff doesn't see a way where you have two $10-plus million linebackers. I'll say this, though. You had two $10-plus million safeties on the same roster for a few years in Poyer and Hyde. Yep. Are they making $10 million a year yes. each? Right really? Nine and change or right there at 10 the last couple of seasons because they each signed extensions over the last couple of years, and they were up in that area. Yeah. So I'm not saying they're going to do that at linebacker, but I suppose if you make some cost-cutting maneuvers elsewhere, it's possible. Yeah, I, I – Tremaine is a really interesting player because he's so young and so experienced and seems still, even this year, to be on the ascension. Better every year. Better every year. He's 25, and he has been the linchpin of a Bills defense. has been a top-five defense for, what, four, four of his five years or three of his four years? No, four of his That's, five years. He started coming right out of the chute. So four of his five years, they're a top-five defense. He's in the middle of it. And let me just tell you, I know Bills fans are polarized by him. We love the guy. He's a sweetheart of a guy. But they don't know about that position, making that kind of money, and what their, everybody's expectations about him are, seem to be a little bit different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let me just say this. You talk to coaching staffs on other teams quarterbacks they covet him they all want Tremaine Edmonds on their team they want him they think he is just a a mess to try and play against for whatever reason Bills fans don't see that other teams seem to just think golly that guy's we need a guy like that we need him we need a guy so 
and it's hard for Bills fans to see that sometimes. As much as we like him, love him, and as well as he has played, particularly this year, better every year, better every year, better every year until this year he's a first-team pro bowler. What do you do? Yeah, it's tough. You know, um, it's hard because to – Because as we were talking about late last week, it's clear the positions that the Bills consider premium positions. Wide receiver, cornerback, quarterback, left tackle. Edge rusher. And edge rusher. That's where they have big money contracts, big money players. Some might argue that Milano's a big money player. $10 million at linebacker. It's not a ton of money when you see Roquan Smith getting $20 million a year in Baltimore on an extension. So do, what do they value the linebacker position at, and is it as high as some of those other quote-unquote premium positions? If not, I think they try to make the most competitive offer they can to get Edmonds back in the fold, but based on you know, what Steve has said, and I think he's right, I think the demand for his talent is going to be enormous on the open market, and I think his agent is going to tell him, let's check free agency out first as much as you may want to return to Buffalo because the money right. might be stupid. Right. It's – yeah, and I don't have – and I don't have any – I don't think Bill's fans should have any qualms about those guys going out and doing what they can for their families, getting the money they deserve or they, the money they've earned on the open market. Uh, I think the Bills would tell them that too. That's one of the reasons – the bills are so highly thought of by the players around the league is that if they'll give you an offer, but it's going to be less than what you'll get on the free open market. So they make no qualms about it. You can get more than this, but this is what you're worth to us. This is what we're going to play. And if you want to go out there, we'll turn you loose and go. We'll yeah. good, good, good on you. You know, bless your heart. And I think, Players appreciate that. There's no hard feelings because they're, you know, the, certainly the clubs over the decades who have proven they'll make tough choices at your expense of a player. Man, they got to do it. We talked about what the Packers should do with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Man, trade that guy. You got Jordan Love. Let's find out. Save the money. Let Stop letting him take the air out of the room, you know. Let's move on. So – Clubs are more, have always been more than willing to do that. But when they also, like a club like Buffalo, says, you know what, you deserve the chance, you know, we'll let you do it. No hard feelings. If, if you want to take our offer, we'd love to have you. But we understand. That goes a long way with players. Yeah. And I think it's been proven time and again on a number of occasions here in Buffalo over the Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean era that players sometimes will take it. All up, Taron Johnson. sometimes they'll come back later. Right. Like Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson. And then players who take it would be players like – Taron Johnson and Matt Milano. Yeah, I'll take it. Thanks. I'm not going on the market. Yeah. That's it, it. It's a great way to do business, and players respect it, and they appreciate it. Break time for us here. When we come back for hour number two, we're going to be talking NFL Combine with the president of National Football Scouting. They run the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. Jeff Foster joins us next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio.
This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Hour number two on a Monday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And going to talk a little NFL combine now. And who better to discuss that with than the president of National Football Scouting. They run the NFL Scouting Combine every year in Indy. And as we know, the combine returns one week from today. Crazy that it's on us already. But Jeff Foster joining us here. Uh, Jeff, is all the hay in the barn, or is there still uh, some T's to cross and some I's to dot before this thing gets rolling next week? Well, I don't know that the hay's ever fully in the barn, but um, you know, at this point, uh, we're excited and ready to go. Yeah, and you, it's a little different as you as than it has been last year. Most people may not notice, but you're switching up the order in which the position groups show up. And by, and by the way, the position groups thing is a lot different than it used to be as well. I mean, when did you split it up into having one group of players that, that play the same position in as opposed to having everybody in at the same time? I mean, when did that all change, and how do you foresee it in the future changing? Yeah, you know, uh, that's probably a better question for Bill Polian, who wrote a great uh, article on the history of the combine uh, recently. Um, it was certainly before my time. Um, you know, we've gone through a lot of changes here, um, especially recently. And and the big one this year is that we're going to start with defense for the first time. Uh, so we'll have our defensive groups kick us off uh, in terms of on-field performance on Thursday and Friday, and then we'll switch to the offense Saturday and Sunday. Uh, so we're excited about that change. But like anything, um, it sounds very simple, but there's a, a lot of logistical challenges behind the scenes uh, in order to make that change. And, you know, I, I realize that the combine has grown into this giant thing now from what it was, which was largely, you know, an event to serve as a medical clearinghouse for 32 NFL teams to get full blown medical reports on all these prospects. Now, there's like fan interactive events and all of that stuff. I mean, it goes just, it goes way beyond the 32 teams trying to get their homework done in before the draft. There is a total fan element to this and you guys are expanding that too. I hear. No question. Yeah. The NFL's done a great job of uh, bringing fans into uh, the event, And um, that was one of the changes this year, uh, working in concert with the city of Indianapolis and visit Indy. Uh, and our great partners here was to offer some opportunities for the fans, not only inside the building, uh, but also a, a combine experience um, in the south lot, just on the uh, south side of the building where NFL legends uh, will be there. Uh, and then there'll be some interactive games, uh, music, food, uh, drinks, um, things to just enjoy uh, all things football, kind of to celebrate uh, football at all levels. So uh, we're excited about that opportunity this year. And then uh, obviously fans will also be able to come into the building uh, during the workouts uh, to watch, um, very similar to last year. And nearby, there's attractions for the fans. You might have mentioned you can, you know, you got guys that can, you can time yourself in the 40-yard dash. Um, you can do an obstacle course like a combine type of thing. You can take a picture of yourself doing bench press kind of stuff. All the all the fun stuff that interact for kids and families. And there's more than just going out and watching these guys uh, jump around the place, right? Yeah, no question. I mean, for us internally and for the clubs, uh, combine is, you know, the still the number one priority is the medical evaluations, uh, followed by the team interviews and the on-field performance uh, component. Um, but uh, lots of opportunities for the fans, and we hope uh, lots of people will come out uh, next weekend. A question I'm often asked, Jeff, by fans is how the combine committee comes to decide who is invited and who is not. So, 
here is the opportunity, Jeff. Can you just kind of lay out, first of all, how long a process is it to whittle that list down? And then how do you ultimately make the call, especially when you get to that back third, you know, the last maybe 50, 60 invites? Yeah, you're right, Chris. That uh, the last part is really the hardest. Um, you know, I think uh, picking the top 100, 150 players um, is, is fairly easy. Um, uh, the only challenge there um, is uh, the timing for us. Um, you know, we'll start that um, selection process in early December uh, when we're working on just the seniors. Uh, and generally, we'll invite uh, about uh, 200 seniors uh, towards the end of December. Um, those are really the ones that we consider uh, as the easier selections. Um, the selection committee has evolved over time, you know, in an effort to uh, make sure that we do get the right players uh, for the clubs. We've actually invited all 32 clubs uh, to be involved in the selection process. Uh, so uh, they have an opportunity to vote for players. Um, so they will vote for the seniors in early December. Uh, we will select uh, right around 200 of those players and then we'll put another 100 seniors uh, on uh, what we call um, uh, an un under consideration list. Uh, so players that we're still going to watch through uh, the bowl games and the all-star games. Um, and then uh, when the underclassmen officially declare through the NFL uh, in uh, mid-January, uh, that's when we'll start working on that list of underclassmen. Um, so this year, that list was smaller than it's been in a number of years, uh, which I think is important. Um, and also allowed us to go back to that list of uh, seniors who are still being considered um, and fill in those position spots um, with those guys. But as you mentioned, um, you know, the last 50 players are, are really a challenge for us. In fact, the, the next 50 uh, are probably equally as deserving as the 50 that we um, end up bringing at the end. And the interesting thing is that sometimes the 50 guys you bring show that maybe they didn't belong. Uh, and that opens up opportunities for the draft, um, you know, for those 50 who didn't come. I mean, every year there's about 30 to 35 players who get drafted uh, that we don't invite to the combine. And, and I know that looks like a miss on our part. Um, but as you guys know, it's a, it's a process of evaluating the players. And um, so looking at what we do in early December, um, when you still have bowl games, all-star games, combine, 30 visits, pro days, um, before you get to the draft, it's really difficult to uh, use the draft as a measuring stick for us. Uh, but, you know, we certainly do do that. All right, so give us an idea, because every year when we watch the draft, we'll see some guys who opt out of certain activities, you know, 40 or bench or whatever, whatever, for injuries or whatever reason. Uh, is there any significant percentage every year that you can say, we're going to invite these guys, but maybe this many probably are going to say, no, they don't want to show up. Is there any significant statistical number of guys who do that? Um, do you expect, a, like, no thank yous? We really don't. And we have a very uh, small number of players who declined the invitation altogether. Um, you know, we've certainly in the past have had players that have decided that they don't want to pursue a career in the NFL. Um, and so those guys have declined. Um, but what we see more of is guys that uh, because of injury won't participate in some on-field uh, component, um, which is still uh, uh, important for them to come because uh, collecting that Medical information, again, is the most important element, and then for them to be able to participate in the interviews with the clubs. Um, so while we don't see uh, people necessarily declining the invitation, we, we will see a little bit of a decrease uh, in participation. You know, last year, you may recall, we had a really high percentage of players that declined to do the bench press. Uh, and one of the reasons was that we had moved the bench press on the day of the workout uh, for the first time in a long time. 
if ever at the combine. Um, so even though that that's how it's done at a pro day, um, we found that the players did not want to do that uh, at the combine. Um, so this year, um, we talked to the training facilities in advance, uh, the ones that um, traditionally train a lot of the participants, um, and we've moved that uh, bench press to the day after their on-field workout, um, which was the training facilities um, preference. Uh, and so we hope that participation in bench press will increase this year. So that kind of leads me into my next question, Jeff, because clearly you take feedback from the prospects themselves based on the events and how you guys schedule them, orchestrate them, et cetera. How much do you also take feedback from the 32 clubs? And do you also take feedback from, as you pointed out, some of those training facilities that get a lot of these players ready for your event? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we want to uh, collect feedback, uh, number one, from the players, because our number one goal is to make sure uh, that the player experience is improved from year to year. Uh, and we do that in all elements, um, you know, everything from travel to food uh, to the sleeping habits, um, uh, as well as the on-field workouts and their process uh, through medical examinations and interviews. Um, from the 32 clubs, um, those are our bosses. That's who we work for. That's who we service. So uh, we absolutely um, receive their feedback uh, and take it seriously and, and implement change uh, based on what's best for the clubs. Um, but in the last few years, uh, we've also invited uh, the training facilities as well as the agents uh, to provide feedback. You know, the players go through this uh, one time only for the most part, uh, although we do have one player, Michael Turk, who's going to come back for a second combine. Uh, but for the most part, uh, players only go through this once. Uh, but the clubs, ourselves, uh, and the agents and the training facilities do this year after year. Uh, so it's really important to collect that feedback uh, with the primary focus of, of improving the player experience. So the NFL 32 clubs has a lot to say about the combine, and we've heard rumblings that, and it, it was true this year, that Indianapolis outbid everybody to keep the combine in Indianapolis, uh, which is obviously great for you guys because you've, you've kind of got it dialed in there in Indy. Uh, how likely is it? And what, do you, what can you tell us about, you know, this bidding process we hear about but know so little about? Yeah, you know, the, um, there's been a lot of discussion uh, over the last six, eight, ten years about uh, potentially moving the combine to different locations. I think once um, the NFL had success moving the draft, um, I think we were kind of the next uh, tentpole event uh, to, to be put uh, on the move. Uh, and really, I think the purpose there um, is to uh, offer other cities the opportunity to host uh, for fan engagement um, and uh, to benefit uh, the local club. Uh, but Indy's been our home for 35 years, um, and we have these um, tremendous partners, uh, specifically uh, IU Health, who manage all of our uh, medical evaluations, which again is the priority for us. So, um, you know, uh, a year ago, we started a, a bidding process. Um, for the first time uh, on, in an official capacity. Um, and there was six or seven cities involved in that. Uh, and I was really impressed with Indy, um, although I'm biased uh, because I live here and we've uh, worked so closely with the great people at Visit Indy and our, our partners. I was really impressed that uh, after 35 years, uh, they put together uh, such a great uh, bid and, and they won the opportunity to host it again this year, uh, as well as 24. Uh, and I'm hopeful that um, they'll do that again uh, for 25 and 26. And we'll start that bidding process here. Um, we've already, uh, the, the league has already had conversations with a number of the cities. Uh, and we'll start that uh, bidding process here in the next six months. And I have to believe, Jeff, that 
for other cities interested in an event this scale and this size with as many people that are involved, not just players. You're talking 32 teams with multiple representatives there. I mean, you're talking thousands. You're, you're up in the thousands of people that you have to accommodate, let alone the fact that you're operating out of a convention center and a stadium simultaneously. So I, I would imagine they're coming to you guys on your staff to find out just exactly what's needed to even have a shot at having everything necessary to host an event of this scale. Yeah, no question. Uh, And, you know, we started um, the process very early a year ago. Um, We identified uh, two cities, Los Angeles and Dallas, were finalists um, bidding for this most uh, recent um, uh, set of combines, two years. Uh, And we had um, both of those groups in to visit during last year's combine. Um, And then we took visits uh, to those cities um, to not only see the facilities, um, but also meet with the personnel. Um, You know, the the interviews, the on-field workouts, things of that nature um, are much easier uh, to make mobile. Um, If you give us a stadium and uh, hotels and a, a convention center, we can make most of that happen. Uh, but the medical testing is really the big challenge. Uh, so making sure that uh, we have a partner like IU Health here in Indianapolis uh, to help us work through uh, the multitude of scheduling and logistics involved in that medical piece is really the biggest challenge. Uh, and the one thing that we've shared with the NFL, and, and I think they learned a lot of it through the process um, that we went through last year with the bidding, is that uh, we, need a, we need a lot of runway uh, to get this uh, off the ground. Um, you know, especially since we've um, um, been fortunate to have it here in one location for so long. Uh, so um, it'll be a big challenge uh, if and when we ever move it. Uh, but for now, uh, we're excited to be back in Indianapolis. And uh, again, selfishly, I hope it stays. Yeah. And in- interestingly enough, we-, we heard that it's the interviews and the medical evaluations that are really the the heartbeat of what the NFL clubs look for in these combines. Certainly fans and all of us want to see him run the 40 and see him bench and see him vertical jump and all that. But really it's the medical side of this that is the the crux of what the NFL is looking at for these guys. How I mean, what are we looking at that is maybe something that you guys really need from another city? that Indianapolis has, what, what do people not know about this medical evaluation, all the logistics and the size of it? That's a great question. And, and you're right. Um, you know, the, the clubs have been evaluating the players uh, for a year or two from a football perspective. So they know um, quite a bit about the players on the football side. Um, uh, and they've been able to interview at least the seniors, a lot of the all-star games. Um, so the medical testing um, is new. Uh, it's our first opportunity to evaluate the players, and that's why it's so important. Um, in terms of what's needed at a, at a facility, you not only need the facility and the equipment and the staffing, uh, but you also need the expertise in the scheduling and the logistics. Um, so, uh, for instance, we bring in mobile units uh, that are located, uh, mobile MRI units that are located uh, in the stadium. Um, but those have to be staffed. Um, and so Indianapolis will shut down uh, some of their satellite uh, MRI locations and bring their staff in uh, to staff uh, those mobile units. And we have very specific protocols. So our MRI of a shoulder is very different than what you and I would get if we injured our shoulder, um, you know, playing basketball with our kids and then went in for an MRI. Um, the, uh, the protocols are very different uh, than what we use. The NFL uh, and the teams and the Physician Society and PFATS have all built uh, protocols very specific uh, to the football athlete. Um, and so it's teaching those pieces um, and then also making sure that um, we have all the, the scheduling 
um, down to a science, um, you know, that as the players will attest, their, their time here is very busy um, and the schedules are very tight. I mean, this year we're dealing with 319 players um, and, and we will do, you know, probably in the neighborhood of uh, 500 uh, MRIs and 2000 x-rays in a four day period on those 319 players. Wow. Um, so the logistics in not only um, getting the players to the locations, facilitating and executing the actual exams and imaging, uh, but then also having that imaging read by radiologists and available to the clubs through through our EMR uh, and the connectivity that's required uh, from the healthcare provider. Um, all of those pieces have to come together. And, um, you know, so doing that in a new location will be a, uh, certainly be a challenge. And I realize, too, Jeff, that there are instances that come up from that imaging and from x-rays and MRIs that sometimes pull a, a prospect or a player out of participating in the combine because maybe they have some kind of condition that they were unaware of themselves. Um, and that really, is that really the last piece of the puzzle for you guys? Cause like the combine finishes, but you had some guys that got medically red flagged and then you, or they might have a rehab that's not quite done yet. And that's when the April rechecks kick in, right? Is that what is that pool? Usually sure. about 50, 60 players. What's the pool usually? Yeah, it's usually about 50. Uh, we actually reduced it uh, this past year. Uh, we put in some different protocols with the athletic trainers and we're able to reduce that number. Um, you know, watching the players from the time they left the combine through their pro days um, and being able to clear them through their participation or potentially clear them while they're at one of their 30 visits with a club. Uh, that able uh, that enabled us to reduce the number of players that we brought in for the rechecks. But, um, you know, you make an important point about um, the examinations. And it's it's a question we get a lot of times from agents and athletes uh, each year is why can't I work out in the first day or the second day I'm there? Um, because they're always concerned about their preparation, uh, which we certainly uh, can appreciate. Uh, but part of the examination um, is making sure that they're able to participate and making sure that they're cleared. So if we do find something um, that concerns us uh, and would concern the athlete, um, then unfortunately we'll have to uh, shut them down, not let them work out here, uh, make sure that they um, are evaluated not only here, but when they leave here uh, so that they're healthy to work out because they always have their pro day to do that piece of it. But we still want them here to go through the medical and, and certainly the interviews and the other components of the combine. So February 28th through March uh, 6th is the combine. You've got the AFC and NFC championship trophies, photo opportunities, uh, the set that's going to look like the draft that people are going to come up and be able to see what the draft is going to look like, uh, autograph stage, Super Bowl ring, the big 56, 56 Super Bowl rings are going to be on display. People can go see those. The Vince Lombardi trophy is going to be there. This is <laughs> – this is way different than just a workout. I mean, you got fans coming, tickets are now tickets. There's no there's no charge for tickets, uh, but you can get in and watch this thing. This is way, way different than it was decades ago, isn't it? No question. Uh, and you know, I, I think a lot of things a, a lot of things are different, but one of the uh, improvements that we continue to make is on that player experience. And as I mentioned before, players are always concerned when they're here because they've been training um, for this opportunity. And so making sure that they're sleeping right, eating right, working out, um, you know, this year we're going to have an opportunity to allow um, the player, if they have a trainer that they've been working with, that trainer will be able to come into a facility um, that our new partner Noble has created 
so there'll be a weight room, there'll be a full turf field uh, in the convention center. Um, and it's just a private uh, player only headquarter uh, and have a recovery room in it. Um, and the players will be able to go in there during their downtime, stretch, uh, run, uh, work out, prepare. Uh, and again, their trainers can come in there um, and work with them on their starts. Um, things that um, you know, we found years ago they were doing down the hallways of the convention center uh, outside the old dome. Uh, so we wanted to provide an opportunity and we're fortunate to have uh, our new partner Noble um, offer that to the players, which we think will really improve their overall experience. Well, Jeff, thanks for the time. You've been very insightful on the inner workings of uh, the event itself. Uh, I realize we're probably at the two-minute warning for you, so good luck getting some rest this week, uh, knowing you're probably not going to get a whole lot of sleep next week. Yeah, thanks. No, I appreciate it, guys. Look forward to having you here uh, next week um, and look forward to bringing the players in here. I, I think they start arriving in about six days. Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks, thanks again, Jeff. Jeff. Appreciate, appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right, that's Jeff Foster, president of National Football Scouting. They run the NFL Combine in Indianapolis and have for the last several decades. And as we said, we will be out there at the NFL Combine coming to you live here on the show from Indy in the convention center, just like we did last year and the year before. Well, not the year before that. That was COVID. But yeah, we were there last year yeah. um, back again. And uh, it's good. It's good. It's like a, it's an NFL clearinghouse for a week, Indianapolis. It really is. It is. And we didn't get into it, and I don't even know if maybe he doesn't even know, but the, the bid that Indianapolis put in for the Combine is a similar process to what cities put in for the Super Bowl. Right. It's a, it's a big number. I'm Certainly the Combine is not as big a number as the Super Bowl, but it's a process through which these cities go, and they put together a bid, and they have to have you know, certain things in place. There's parameters they have to meet. And the hardest parameter, obviously, that we found out through talking to Jeff is you got to have the medical facilities. You have to have a partner. You have to have a yeah. hospital partner. And I mean, you could see if the bill, if they wanted to bring that to Buffalo, I mean, everybody at, at Roswell would have to like it'd be all hands on deck. Buff General. Well, you heard him EC, say EM, ECMC would have to be on board. All these gates, all these hospitals got to be on board with their people. He was saying there's satellite MRI facilities around Indianapolis. Yeah, they all, they they all go off. dark yeah. for a week because they need those MRI machines mobilized and down at the stadium to, to handle all the scheduling they do with it, the players. And they do special protocols for what they're looking for for football players rather than like for just every, you know, Every Joe Schmo like you and me, yeah, they're looking for different stuff. It's the weirdest thing ever, but that's massive for these teams to and these cities to put together a partner like two years in advance, yeah. two years in advance to get the medical people up and running. Forget about the convention center and a stadium that's there and you know, all that stuff. It's doctors and MRI machines, right? And I understand why he likes he wants to keep it there because. After doing it this way, he know they all know where everything is, and everybody right. that works the combine knows where everything is, who's where, what's getting done when, where things get stored, where things get staged. <laughs> you go to a completely new city. Oh my god! The convention center might not be and right down the just, street from the stadium. This thing might be over here now. Those people right. might be over there. It's like, and it's not just Jeff Foster, the guy we're talking to. He says, "I know where this is." And I, it's all the the. MRI people, the doctors, all they all know it too. They're like, "Oh yeah, we take a week off. We're going to go down there. It'll be night. We'll do. We'll be just like last year." Yeah. We'll They're all greased and ready to go too. You know, the the wheels are already spinning down there. You try and get that revved up 
Somewhere no wonder else. he said, "Yeah, we need a long. He needed, we need a long ramp up time." Yeah, that's amazing. If for some reason you are going out to Indianapolis to watch the workouts at the NFL Combine, as Steve mentioned, the defensive players are going first this year. Defensive linemen and linebackers on Thursday, March second, hit the workout field. Friday, March third, are defensive backs. Saturday is quarterbacks, wide receivers, and tight ends. Sunday, running backs and offensive linemen. We have to take a break here. When we come back, more of your phone calls as we are asking you today to give us the surprise player on the roster who is re-signed and the surprise player on the roster who departs. You can let us know next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, here we be on a Monday on One Bills Live. Give us one surprise player who you think the Bills will re-sign and one surprise player that you believe will depart this offseason. 803-0550, the number to get on board. Open line for you there, one 888 We lead off this segment with Keith in Holland. Keith, what do you got for us here on One Bills Live? Well, uh, listen, a little off the subject, I just wanted to say one thing to Steve about the winter camping up in the Adirondacks. I went to school up there. When I was a student, we were foolish enough uh, to go winter camping. We weren't very – we were probably less prepared than you were for four days. We'd only spend one night. We'd build a fire on the snow, and in the morning, the fire would be six feet below us because that's how thick the snow would get wow. there. And then the other thing I'd like to say is – um, Steve, uh, I called uh, a month ago. You took a picture with my uh, grandson, which was very kind, at the watch party in East Aurora. And uh, um, I wanted to tell him and show him who Steve Tasker was. So I showed him a YouTube, 51-minute YouTube video <laughs> of Steve Tasker highlights so he would know who you were and right. what you did. Now, upon that, he was impressed. He wants to be a football player. But upon that, there was also... There was also a video uh, of you turkey hunting with some guy. Now, was that just for promotional purposes, or are you an outdoorsman? Um, to say I'm an outdoorsman, outdoorsman, I'm more of a camper now. I grew up hunting in Kansas, where I grew up, where there was pheasant and quail hunting. And so, yeah, shotgun, bird hunting, yeah, I've done. Um, not Never any big game like deer hunting or anything like that. I've, and I haven't done it in decades because of the football seasons and all my time with the NFL. I just don't have time to do it, but I grew up doing that. Yes. Uh, the bird, the Turkey, the Turkey thing you're doing was a charity event that I took part in. Yes. And I don't know. I don't, I've never seen that video. No, yeah. we may have to check that yeah, out. I didn't know that existed. You and one guy guiding you. Yeah. Okay. Right. I, I've never seen it. Where do I find it? Oh, sorry, Keith. Oh. I didn't mean to cut you off there. We got I'll another, never know. I'll never. we got another call. We can find it on YouTube. I'm sure it won't be hard. Okay. Steve Tasker, Turkey hunting. Put it in. We'll find it. All right. But thanks for the heads up, Keith. We appreciate, appreciate that because something tells me that might be pretty entertaining. <laughs> Just saying. I do have, I do have a, a stuffed turkey mounted. Oh, you do? Because I, I won the, this charity event oh, with okay. the biggest, best turkey. I don't know how they quantify that. Okay. It has something to do with the length of the spurs on the turkey. Oh, the, really? Yeah, something like that. Okay. And the weight or whatever. And uh, look my, at what I'm learning here. My thing, my turkey was the. This was, gosh, this was, gosh, 15 years ago. So, but I still got the bird. That's cool. It's. it's 
out of sight in the attic. I can't, where am I going to where yeah. am I going to put it? It's a turkey. I put it right outside in, the front door. In full like strut, like the fan, you know, like the oh, Thanksgiving yeah, the fans day. out. Right, yeah. yeah. So it's bring it out for Thanksgiving every year. That'd be perfect right in front of the door. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll run that by the wife. See yeah, what she you says. just have them hold a I'm sign. I'm sure she'll that, have no problem with it. You just have them hold a sign that says "Happy Thanksgiving." Try a ham. Oh, there you go. You know, so he doesn't get. You know what I mean? So there'd be go. good. Yeah, a little little frivolity to the holiday. <laughs> Bring him down out of the attic every uh, Thanksgiving. It'd be good. Put him outside the front door. Uh, let's go to Marie in Amherst next. What you got for us, Marie? Hey guys. So I think that the Bills are going to bring back Cole Beasley because, I mean, he is productive. And I guess we could um, cut or part ways with Tim Settle. He's all right, you know. He seemed like a good guy, but, I mean, it's always the draft. It's always free agency. Get some more players in here. But I think that we got a tough spot here because since 2020, we should at least won two Super Bowls by now. I mean, this the schedule coming up and this, oh, my gosh, it's just looking not too good for us. Plus, we need a backup quarterback. Oh, my gosh. Because Keenum, he's too old. I don't think he's it. We know Barkley isn't it. They're, but, well, let me ask you this, Marie, because you, you mentioned Beasley as your surprise re-sign. He turns mm-hmm. 34 in April. Does that bother you at all? Nope. Okay. Nope. He looked real good out there last year. He's still, he still got some left. All right. I just oh. wanted to check. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it as always. Um, so Beasley for her surprise ad. Okay. Yeah, and she's right about the the schedule coming up this year. Uh, the Bills play – well, they play the West, right? Well, they're not only playing the Chiefs on the road. Right. They play the Bengals on the road and the Eagles on the road. Right. And the so ca- three of the last four teams standing this year – the Bills play them all on the road. And the Chargers on the road, another playoff yeah. team. Yeah. But and three it, of the last four teams standing, and they got to play all three of them on the road, Steve. Ouch. Yeah. Oh, and the guy. We thought this year's schedule was tough. Now, this, this graphic I'm looking at, that means the, the teams in red are playoff teams? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So it's, yeah. Eight. Right. And then it's the, obviously the uh, division champ, the division. Opponents to the right, which is an yeah. additional playoff team in the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. Okay. Ooh. Boom diggity. Yeah, that's a tough one. Dallas, the Giants, Jaguars, Buccaneers, all playoff teams. The Chiefs, Chargers, Eagles, Bengals, all playoff teams, and the Dolphins, a playoff team. Nine of the seventeen games, and ten of your seventeen games because you played the Dolphins twice. That's right. Uh, and then the other two are the Patriots and the Jets. With four of those, wow, yeah, that's a pretty tough schedule. It's it's stiff. It's a stiff schedule for sure. I was just talking about it with my father-in-law last night. We had him over for dinner, and he's just like, why the hell? We hear this all the time. Why the hell are we going to Kansas City again? (laughs) So I had to explain the rotational schedule and how it all works. Bills fans get it. I said, I understand why people forget. The Chiefs did play here in 2020, but nobody saw it because that's when the stadium was – not having fans due to COVID. But the problem is we're playing them twice a year, and they're both in Kansas City. Usually, yeah. Usually. And we're winning the wrong game in that series. We're winning the regular season game, not the playoff game. Now, I will say this. If the Bills and the Chiefs finish in the same spot in their division this season, hopefully first place for both of them. Well, who cares about the Chiefs? But if they both finish in the same spot in their division, 
next year, 2024, I believe that the Chiefs would come here as the intra-conference other division team. Because you have two teams in the AFC from the other divisions that you're not playing the entire division. Those are the two teams where you play one home and one away. And I believe it would be Chiefs here if they finished in the same position as the Bills at the end of this season for 2024 schedule. So the Chiefs would finally come here. Yeah. If we plow through the most difficult schedule right. on the planet and win right. the division again. Yeah, okay. And I know, I know a lot of times the schedule looks daunting in somebody February. Is, yeah, somebody gave, sent me the video of me turkey hunting. Oh, you found it already. Look at that. Somebody's helping you out. Okay, great. I, I am watching that in the break. Um, so I know a lot of times the schedule seems daunting in February, but then it looks a whole lot different from this end of it. When yeah. we get to September or even October, and then all of the twists and turns of the season can change it as well. I mean, I remember in 2021, we thought that five game stretch was a gauntlet. How are they going to eat? They'll be lucky to win two of the five games right. and they end up going four and one in that stretch. Right. And we're like, how the heck did that happen? Right. But hopefully, uh, it takes a turn for the better, knowing on the surface right now, it's like, whew, the three of the four teams in the conference title games, the Bills have to play this yeah. coming season, and all three of them are road games? Yeah. Yeah. That's it's rough. Now, That's a tough road Philly's to gonna Philly's going to be a different team. Well, they're going to lose a lot of people to free agency. Um, but, you know, Kansas City's going to be Kansas City. And Cincinnati, and Cincinnati hasn't Cincinnati lost anybody anywhere. yet. Yeah, yeah. They, may, they may they may lose, lose Jesse T, Bates, T Higgins or somebody like that. Well, he's still got gonna, a year left. He just yeah. wants a big money deal. I don't know if Cincinnati's going to do that. So right. some have even speculated that the Bengals may trade T Higgins a year early rather than losing him in free agency and getting nothing. That right. would be interesting if that comes to pass. Yeah. Maybe that happens around draft time as we saw with AJ Brown last What's year. What's T Higgins worth? I think on some teams he's a number 1 wideout. Sure. Like, probably 10 teams in this league would take him as their number one wideout. So, if you can trade him to a team that would take him as a number one, they can get a one back. Uh, not for a two-year deal. or one. Well, year no. Deal. It, I, it would be predicated on an extension, which was the same thing that happened with A.J. Brown. His contract was up. Titans weren't going to give him giant money. So, they said, okay, we're going to trade you. And then the Eagles are like, well, well hold on. If I'm giving up a first-round pick, I'm signing him to an extension. So, let us agree to terms on that with him. And then we right. can execute the trade, and you can get what right. you want. That's what has to happen. Right. So, I think they can get a one for him. Yeah, if, if the right team's up it's like 24. that. 24. Sure. sure. All right. And then, you know, you hope you draft a talent similarly as effective or as talented as the one you just shipped out. Now, that failed miserably for the Titans. You know, they took the kid from Arkansas who <laughs> can't play. He was a disaster in his first year. Not that he had a ton of quarterback help, but he was a disaster. So, it is a risk. It's right. a risk. It's always a risk when the draft's involved, right? I mean, what the heck else is new? All right, we got to take a break. Watch Steve Turkey hunting on YouTube video. <laughs> and then we'll be back to close things up here on One Bills Live with some final thoughts on the tweet sheet. Presented by Collada Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Back here on One Bills Live, some final thoughts on the tweet sheet in terms of a surprise player you believe the Bills will resign and a surprise player you think might depart from Buffalo's roster this offseason. Rob on the tweet sheet says, re-signing Taiwan Jones 
Edmonds departs. This team has an infatuation with special teams players, but has that next man up attitude with offense and defense. Jay says Poyer back on a one-year deal. Jordan Phillips and Isaiah McKenzie depart. Isaiah McKenzie still has a year left on his contract. Phillips is a free agent. Um, Poyer back on a one-year deal. I don't know if Poyer takes a one-year deal, but maybe the interest on the market isn't as fierce as he or his agent anticipates. I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's Poyer's – Poyer's a guy that people have a lot of infatuation with, and I, and I know this. I said this, uh, bef- I think, maybe at the early, early last week or maybe even the week before that – Brandon Bean and his staff, while they love these guys and know them really well, they don't get intangible. They don't get all hooked up in their feels about these players. <laughs> they got they they business decisions to they make. They got business decisions to make. And as much as they love and respect Jordan Poyer, they're not going to compromise their ideals or their process in order to keep him at all costs. Um, that It's team first. Uh, player second Um, and that's that's the way it's got to be and it's hard to do sometimes because the guys helped him so much and been such a great you know they found him kind of right they found him they found Micah Hyde these guys nobody knew who they were when the Bills signed them they come up and they're this dynamic duo in the secondary it's gonna be hard but I think it's gonna it's gonna be hard to keep him and I think that's where we sit with him last one from Buffalo Love 1914 we trade Oliver for a fourth Poyer gets franchised. Edmund, Edmonds meets Bean halfway and gets a team-friendly deal. I don't see that happening. And, my God, if we move Oliver, I hope we get more than a fourth. That's for sure. Yeah. And I don't know if Poyer's getting franchised. It costs too much. Well, Steve and I are back tomorrow for more. We'll see you at 1.